Welcome back to this very special festive episode of Pop Goes the Tam Tam. We've reached episode four and already I've run out of humorous introductions. So let's not waste any more time and find out what's behind door number four. That kind of rhymed. Actually that did rhyme. Of this very special Pop Goes the Tam Tam advent calendar. Some clues about this Advent episode. It features a shark, a Roman and an opera singer. That's right, we're going to be discussing the 11th Doctor Christmas special, A Christmas Carol. Skies of this entire world are mine. My family tamed them and now I own them. There are 4,000 people in a spaceship trapped in your cloud. Without your fault, they're going to die. You don't have to let that happen. I know, but I'm going to. Whatever happens, somebody remember. You brought it on yourself. What is that not sort of threaty thing? We're only asking for one day. Just let her out for Christmas. Nobody has to die. Everybody has to die. Not tonight. Not as good as any other night. Who are you? Tonight. I'm a ghost of Christmas past. Joining me. By the fireside to discuss this episode is a very special guest. Announce yourself, special guest. Hello, my name is Jack. Would you like to tell the listeners something about yourself, Jack? Well, I'm. Uh, I used to watch a lot of Doctor Who, too much of Doctor Who, and uh, I have some. I have some very strong opinions about where I think Doctor Who made a lot of potential mistakes in terms of its writing. I have Moffat episodes I like and Moffat episodes I don't like. I look forward to having an open conversation with you, Tamsin, about where we think this episode went wrong. I'm very excited. And we've also known each other for about 500 years, haven't we? Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to say when we first met, but one of us might have been drinking. <laughs> um, so we, we well we met like a million years ago through yeah. a through my through my brother and we been ever since Tamsin created this lovely podcast I have been leaving her voice messages about different things that I would like to moan about in terms of Doctor Who. Sir, the, the president says there's a galaxy class ship trapped in a cloud layer, and well, we have to let it land. Or well, we'll crash, sir. Oh. Well, it's a kind of landing, isn't it? It's from Earth, sir, registering over 4,000 life forms on board. Oh. <laughs> Not if we wait a bit. <laughs> you can't just let it crash, sir. Says who? I'll get Look, Petal, we already have a surplus population. No more people allowed on this planet. I don't make the rules. Oh, no, hang on. I do. Poor begging people. Off home and pray for a miracle. (laughs) 
Blimey. Sorry. Christmas Eve on a rooftop. Saw a chimney. My whole brain just went, what the hell? So let's just dive in to the plot of this special because it's essentially a reworking of the Charles Dickens classic A Christmas Carol. But let's talk about consent. So essentially the plot of this Christmas special is that the 11th Doctor played by Matt Smith he, his friends, Amy and Rory, were having their honeymoon on a ship and the ship is now crashing to an alien planet. They need to open up this sort of cloud layer to let the ship through so it doesn't crash. The person who owns the cloud layer, the machine that will turn it off, essentially is a sort of Ebenezer Scrooge. His name is Kazran. And the doctor decides that what he's going to do is he's going to change Kazran's past and make them a better person so that they're prepared to save the ship. I'm going to open this up to you now because you made some really good points in our pre-discussion about consent and lack thereof. So, Go for it, Jack. Okay, so should we... How, how about we, like, first, like, how would you normally define consent, Pam? Personally, I would define consent as somebody has asked me a question, so they've said, like, Tamsin, do you mind if I change bits of your past to make you a nicer person so that you're prepared to help these people in the future? And I would say yes or no. That sort of consent, isn't it? It's where somebody says to you, I'm going to do this thing to you. Are you happy for me to do it? I think this is an interesting idea, but I, I don't think it really works upon rewatch. Because I, I was just thinking about consent the entire time. Because we got the consent that he doesn't give his consent that he can change his part. And then the doctor doesn't really discuss the idea. I think one of the more interesting science fiction ideas is how am I going to change the person? By changing his by changing his past, mm. which the doctor doesn't really address. The doctor's like the doc again. This is Matt Smith. This is the beginning of like you know where where we've reached the eight where we're going to reach the bit where whenever like there's a big baddie that we can't fix, we're just going to like magically come up with the answer by mm. writing it in at the last minute. I think the problem with this consent issue comes into the planning because mm. i mean i'm convinced that they they filmed this i think they they filmed this in a rush i i i'm convinced of this because you know we've got michael gambon starring and obviously he's a very busy person long contract for the, for harry potter so he only has a very limited period of time where he's even allowed to take jobs mm. and i think because like christmas specials in general are like filmed in the summer mm so they can get the um, CGI and all the stuff up to. But I think there's two levels of consent, if we can go back to consent. Yeah. We've got the consent of the of the fully grown adult, mm. and then we've also got this weird relationship with this woman who's frozen in ice. Yeah. And really questioning how that got into the Christmas special, because I don't think it's particularly cute. No. Because it's basically me freezing you and being like, oh, I can control, this man is in complete control of, like, unlocking her every, yeah. every year. Uh, 
this is not a loving relationship. This is basically someone who's deciding when you can come out to play or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's, I mean, I mean, there's also, now that you mention that, there's a huge power imbalance between them. Oh, yeah. Never, never mind the age imbalance, if we're talking about when to, when he's grown up in the future towards the end. Well, let's also talk about the fact that, thinking back, when I watched this, I missed it first. I completely forgot that when they first started hanging out, that he was a child, Kazran was a child. But if you remember, like, how the 11th Doctor first met Amy Pond when she was a child. And also, when Clara Oswald, there's an episode where he's trying to work out who she is, and then he goes back and hangs out with her in a playground. And now you've got this episode where... Kazran and Abigail hang out together as children and it sort of feels to me like maybe he watched Phantom Menace and was like yeah that's the relationship I want. <laughs> yeah I see what you mean I mean I it's very creepy because again there's no like the most consensus like the most important thing but mm-hmm. like the doctor's like no uh hold, hold my beer I'm just going to do it but like again this is the beginning of I'm just going to do this thing because yeah I agree and also I would say there's no real ram I mean in terms of time travel it doesn't really make a lot of sense and I'll say why because there's a couple of elements so the fact that he was changing and being a nicer person well if that's the case then why are there so many ice coffins still in that vault if that was the case then Abigail's coffin should really be the only one that's still in the freezer but they're all still in there so at no point did he say oh do you know what having spent time with the doctor and abigail over this you know period where my history has been changed i've decided to cancel all the debts that are owed to me and were owed to my father and i'm going to let all these people go and live their lives if he saw himself as a child so he was a child at the end and he saw himself as an older person right well then when she tells him that she's going to die and when he must already know at that point the last time he's going to see her is when he's old and she's singing to that shark and so none of it makes sense because the whole thing about time travel that it's a loop It's a constantly repeating pattern and the inciting incident always has to happen for it to make sense. And it's almost as if nothing he did in the past really changed the way Kazran was. But Kazran was an awful person. And so he, by spending time with the Doctor and Abigail, was changing. He was becoming nicer. He was taking more consideration of people's feelings, but that's not reflected in the way he lives his life in the future, if that makes sense. And also, it kind of breaks through the, the, the thematic like, storyline of Christmas Carol because Ebenezer Scrooge wakes up from his dream and he realises, and then he, and he gets a boy to get a turkey to take it to, to, to the poor people. And then he goes out and changes, changes himself, like mm. physically, and also, but also, you know, donates money and stuff. Carousel doesn't do any of these things because, mm. because at the end, 
we still see all the vaults. So we still yeah. see. So is he really a good, good person that the doctor should have even helped? <laughs> and I also have to ask you that. So there are two questions I'm going to ask you. So the first question is about Abigail Pettigrew. Who is she? Do we actually yeah. know anything about her past the fact that she's got a nice singing voice and she's pretty and she seems to be fairly nice? I mean, I feel really bad because, like, she's got, like, so few lines in this. Yeah. Like, the, I mean, like, I, I mean, I get it. Like, you've got Michael Gambon and you have like, you the most amount of lines. But, but at the same time, like, there's so few, there's no, like, because the companions are barely in this. Yeah. So, like, I'm convinced that both uh, Amy and, like, uh, <laughs> Amy and Rory basically showed up for a day to film this, mm. to film their bits on the Christmas episode. And then was like, yep, like, we've done all our bits. We can go home now. I, I, it's a weird Christmas episode because the companions don't feel like they're part of the episode at all because they just mm. feel like a distraction from, like, Kazaran's actual change. But he doesn't actually change. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say is, what about the duty of care? So, at the end of the episode, we essentially end with Kazran and Abigail flying with the shark into the sky for one last flight with the shark. But what happens after that? I mean, she obviously has got only one more day, which she'll obviously spend with Kazran, and then she will die. And as we have seen, as you have said, Kazran doesn't really appear to have changed that much. So... Do we think that the death of this woman is not going to impact on all of the people who sort of rely on Kazran in on that planet in a really, really negative way? I mean, I would say yes, because because we already saw this, because the, even when the doctor changed his mind, he, he was still really firm in his belief system. Yeah. Essentially, then, the doctor has just abandoned that planet to a megalomaniac who's now going to be absolutely torn apart by grief. I mean, don't you think wish we had, like, part of season six where the Doctor had to, like, face this mistake with the future son of Kazrand, where he was forced to go, where he had to go back to that planet to, like, face the fact that he just, like, did this thing and was, like... But I don't think they, they wanted to address it because... Again, this is part, this is unfortunately part of the beginning of like the, as I've said previously, where the, where the doctors get into these really sticky, where they create these really impossible situations for the doctor Mm. just to like, just to find like a really lazy writer way instead of actually coherent storyline behind. It's very, it's a very superficial ending. It seems to be very superficially happy but as we say when you break it down it's very negative and the other thing that we were talking about before we actually started recording was about the whole David Tennant era ending with him giving that speech about him being the Time Lord victorious and that he now controls time and this is essentially what the 11th Doctor has done. He's basically thrown out all the conventions and rules of 
how you could ethically time travel. And he said, actually, that doesn't matter because my friends need some help. Yeah. And it's just really interesting because you think, like, is the 11th Doctor at this point, is he actually, is he a good person? I, I mean, I would say yes, but I don't think he's, again, I don't think they thought about this when they were writing this mm. Christmas episode. But she's used up her time. Those Christmas Eves with me. I could release her any time I want. And she would live a single day. So tell me, ghost of Christmas present, how do I choose which day? I'm sorry. I, I really am. I'm very, very sorry. But you know what? She's got more time left than I have, more than anyone on this ship. Good. Rory, widen the beam. Status update on engine one. How did I get here? You didn't. It's your turn to be the hologram. Since you're going to let a lot of people die tonight, I thought you might like to see where it's all going to happen. The scene. What is it? I don't understand. It's the doctor's idea. The harmony's resonating the ice crystals. That's why the fish like it. He thought that maybe it would stabilise the ship. But it isn't working. It's not powerful enough. Why are they still singing, then? Because we haven't told them. Sir, I understand you have a machine that controls this cloud layer. If you can release us from it, we still have time to make a landing. Nobody has to die. Everybody has to die. So, do you think that there was an influence of Stephen Moffat writing Sherlock in this episode. Because I have to say, I felt it very strongly during what I would call the Doctor deduction scene, where he, like, deduces, like, the picture where Kazran's, what his relationship with his father was. And that kind of feels like it was a writer who's been writing a lot of scripts for Sherlock has to write a Doctor Who script and kind of can't get out of the of the mindset of writing a Sherlock script for that that section. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he, I mean, it's difficult to like know, but like he was probably like Sherlock came out in 2010, as mm-hmm. we all know. But I think I think the way that TV development happens over multiple years. It's very mm. easy to to see the connections because I think I think there's no doubt that he was working on Sherlock at the time mm. with Mark Gaidis. Um I think it, I think it did. I don't I don't think you could say you couldn't. I don't think you could say that it didn't have an effect on him because blends into like why season six isn't that great. Yeah. I mean, there are some there are some very good episodes. The whole sort of feel of season six, like you say, there are good episodes, but there are a lot of episodes that are either very throwaway or I would say actually bad, especially when you compare it to how good season five was. I mean, season five was a really good season with only a couple of mediocre episodes in it, whereas season six was, it had like two or three really good episodes, a lot of filler, and some really bad episodes. Chairs, of course, the chairs. Stupid me, the chairs. Chairs. 
There's a portrait on the wall behind me. It looks like you, but it's too old, so it's your father. All the chairs are angled away from it. Daddy's been dead for 20 years, but you still can't get comfortable where he can see you. There's a Christmas tree in the painting, but none in this house on Christmas Eve. You're scared of him, and you're scared of being like him, and good for you. You're not like him, not really. Do you know why? Because you didn't hit the boy. I like the acting in this episode. I think the acting in this episode is the thing that actually pulls it across the line. I think Michael Gambon is incredible. I think Catherine Jenkins, who plays Abigail Pettigrew, was really good for the little that she actually had to do. She made her feel very sympathetic and very endearing. I think the little boy who played the young Kazran was really engaging. And I think that Matt Smith once again shows that if this, version of the Doctor. Can you imagine Peter Capaldi or Christopher Eccleston playing this episode? It would have been really dark. But because Matt Smith is so engaging as the Doctor and he really is very light and very upbeat and kind of gives it a childlike glee and innocence, you let it pass because He's so endearing. Kazran is a full-blown sociopath. I don't yeah. think there's any argument here. No. Do you think it would have been better if if it was Karen and Arthur Darville that the Doctor didn't know that they were on the ship until after he saved it? No, that's really because, interesting. Because I was, think, I was just thinking there's no reason why you can't cut out Karen and Arthur from this mm. plot. And then you, but then again... Again, a very limited performance of Amy, but very on point with what Amy's character is. Yeah. I think the weird thing about this episode is, like, how many actual lines the ladies have versus the men. They're damsels in distress, Amy and Abigail, and they exist to be rescued by the Doctor and by Kazran. How would you explain this to a child watching this? I am not sure I would show this to a child. Because I don't think it's a child-friendly episode. I mean, from the from the beginning... Look, I'm not a prude, you know this, Jack. But from the beginning, you've got Amy and Rory coming out in their, essentially, bedroom outfits. This isn't a kid's episode. This is, a, this is an episode that is really dark, really depressing, and has a lot of questionable takes on the world. Yeah, yeah that's a question. That's a, I, I know that like, they're on their honeymoon, but, like, I think... Part of what makes a good Christmas episode in general is something that that's, that is a coherent episode that spans obviously Christmas, mm. that where Christmas is included in the episode, obviously. But I think it also needs to make it really easily for, you know, the annual Christmas arguments on what we are going to watch. Yeah. Be really easy because I think that the problem with this episode is am I going to show this to a six, seven year old? Absolutely not because yeah. because I think it's kind of irresponsible to have to show this episode without having the conversation about consent. Yeah. I don't begrudge parents who do allow the pe- children to watch this episode. I do think they should try to, you know, use these TV, use some TV show that they like to be able to have, you know, more in-depth discussions mm. around whether it's consent or whether it's just like, you know, really basic stuff about, you know, how you approach things as an adult. Mm. Um, But that's not a conversation that you really want to have on Christmas Day. So I wonder if the easy fix there would be to say that Amy and Rory are on a Christmas cruise 
And instead of them coming out as a policewoman and a Roman soldier, they came into the cockpit with, like, Christmas jumpers on. I mean, that would be the easiest fix entire scene. Like, but, like, I would say, like, I would... I, I would just, like, also, like, make it, like, the loudest Christmas jumper that the uh, yeah. BBC has. Because we know they have them. We know they uh, have them. <laughs> because, like... Where does the one show get them? And also, you could totally have a running gag where Rory thinks that the jumper's disgusting, but Amy absolutely loves it. She thinks it looks the best thing ever. Or like, or Amy's like knitted this Christmas jumper. Yeah. How people knit Christmas yeah. jumpers. Like she's knitted a. She spent age. She spent all this time knitting a Christmas jumper for Arthur's character, and he's putting it on to be, you know, to, to be like, you know, like, I, you know, I mean, you're, you're my wife now, so I'm going to wear this because, like, you really work really hard on this, but, like, I also kind of don't want to tell you, like, I find it, like, really itchy, or yeah. I think there's so many, I think that would have been really interesting. I think Arthur Darville's performance as Rory, it's one of his quirks is he gets irritated really easily, mm. so putting him in a situation where he's basically even though he's got a very short, not many scenes in this episode, I think showing him, at least bringing out more, giving him more, he, he, he's very good at comedy moments. Yeah, and that's what this really needed. I mean, I would also, we would be getting rid of the uh, all the jokes about the, uh, the honeymoon stuff. Do you think they were jokes for, like, the people who were over the age of 18? Yeah, I think they that? were, but they were incredibly cringy. Something that hasn't happened in this town for a very long time now. No. I need to ask. Well, that's the way... What was was your favourite moment of this episode? I I mean, I think the... uh, I mean, my favourite moment, if we're just talking about general moments, is probably the uh, Stark riding the sled, because I don't think anyone would not want to be the person on that sled. Yeah. That would be my favourite moment. I mean, that's like where the fun of the episode comes with, where you make where you make fun with the the shark. Yeah, it's a great a great little character, even though it hasn't got any lines. The shark is really endearing, in my opinion. But I look forward to coming back for the Stranger Things. Uh, well. Um, we're not just going to have you back for Stranger Things. We need to have you back for Doctor Who, in-depth discussion about film and television. I just want to say thank you so much for being part of this and for getting involved, Jack, because it's been lovely to talk to you. And I'm sure that the listeners have discovered a new voice. And I really think that you you should definitely do your own podcast, Jack, and then I can come and be your guest. Yeah. It's been great to be on your podcast, Tamsin, and I'll be back when when you need me next, when you need to summon me from the void. Have a lovely Christmas.